Hey there, and welcome to Church of the Beloved's weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe, and I serve on staff as the production manager here at COTV. This week's message is brought to us by Pastor Abe Lee. He is preaching from Psalm 22. Good morning, everyone. My name is Abe. I uh, serve as the pastor here at Church of the Beloved. Michael mentioned it, as did Joy. Today is Family Sunday, and it is the day that our beloved kids get to hang out with us. And uh, if I might talk to the beloved kids for just a moment, um, where are the three amigos? Did they not make it back yet? They really didn't make it back. I was going to thank them for doing such an awesome job, but uh, okay. (laughs) Um, For those of you who are still here, I know Joy has given each of you an assignment uh, to do during today's service. Um, But for those of the older ones, and maybe the younger ones too, I have a special request. We're going to be spending the next few months talking about the Psalms, all right? And we're talking about the Psalms because these songs, these poems are are pretty important to helping us understand who Jesus is, right? Who God designed us to be. But because the kids will not be with us all the time, I thought it might be a good opportunity now uh, to get familiar with the Psalms. So uh, if you're coloring or doing other things, that's totally fine. But uh, when you start getting bored with what I'm saying from the stage, which I know uh, especially Henry will, uh, I have a challenge for y'all. So uh, if you can, find for me the shortest and the longest psalm there is in the Bible. Don't tell me what it is now. Wait until after service. Tell me which ones that is. And the other thing I want you to do, and you're going to see these questions in your handout. Uh, especially considering what you read today, I want you to tell me where in the New Testament you can find Jesus saying, because Jesus loved quoting the Psalms. So tell me where you can find what you read today in the New Testament. All right? But again, after service, if whoever is the first one to tell me after service, uh, I'll give you a prize. No, I won't. Uh, I'll give you a cookie. That's already on the table outside. Anyway, for everyone else who's joining us today, thank you for letting me uh, chat with the kids uh, and welcome to Church of the Beloved. Uh, I know Michael explained a little bit about why we do Family Sunday, but I want to expound on it just a little bit more, if you don't mind. Because, you know, I, I think there are a few of you here who probably grew up in an immigrant church like I did. Uh, and, and, and having the kids join with the adults just didn't happen, at least for me when I was growing up. And the idea of kids sitting with parents, it just wasn't a thing. The kids were just never included in the worship uh, with parents. And in our beloved kids' ministry, which Joy leads so well, uh, and by the way, we can always you know, benefit from volunteers who love Jesus and have to love kids, or as Joanne likes to say, loves babies, Um, you know, they do usually step out uh, after we do praise and the catechism. They do their own thing. They have more fun. But once a month, we intentionally want to have our children here with us because we believe that every single one of them, you, are important and part of the family of God. 
We are called not to neglect gathering together. We are called to, to model and to disciple gospel-transformed lives to everybody, including and especially our children. That's why we do Family Sunday once a month. So I appreciate, sometimes it can be distracting, but I appreciate uh, everyone here participating in that way. But as I said, today we're going to continue on in this sermon series on the Psalms. And thank you very much. Last week, Derek stepped up as one of the new elders of our church uh, here at Church of the Beloved. Stepped in for me last week to preach. Um, I did get a chance to listen because uh, some, I don't know why I'm doing air quotes around someone. Someone <laughs> made a secret recording of that message. And so I understand that there was, I heard there was some singing uh, uh, a Disney song of some sort. There's no official recording, so if you want to hear Derek publicly present a Encanto, right? The Encanto song, you might have to, uh, they, they, they want to hear it. You might have to buy him lunch or something, but um, I did listen to the actual message too, Derek, and I really appreciated how, you know, you showed us in Psalm 136, it points out who, that we have a good God who saves, a good God who endures. Uh, I appreciate that. Now, here's the thing about the Psalms that I, I truly love and appreciate. The Psalms are an anthology, an, an anthology of songs and poems, and these were collected over a thousand years. The, one of the oldest ones it starts with Moses. Moses is, uh, has a psalm in there. There's a bunch from like King David, King Solomon, the sons of Korah. There's just so many different authors involved in this anthology. And all of these songs, they paint a picture of redemption that is intended to remind us and to encourage us and to push us closer to our Father in heaven. And the Psalms, they are songs of salvation, songs of wisdom, songs of justice. They're songs of redemption. And the Psalms are songs that are intended to paint a picture of our Redeemer, our Savior, and our friend, Jesus Christ. So today, what we want to do is look at the picture that's depicted in the passage that was read by our kids today, Psalm 22. Now, the staff, which includes Yuji, uh, Joy, Kevin, and Opal, who are in the back, and myself, the staff, we meet each week. We review how the past Sunday service went, and we prepare for the next one. But before we get into the weeds and the logistics of just doing the church service and stuff, we do spend time studying and discussing the passage that's going to be preached on the next week, right? We're together as a, as a team. And, and this past week, I, I appreciate all of them had some wonderful insights and so much information to talk about. But there was something that Joy and Opal, they both made a comment that really uh, stuck with me this past Tuesday. And they were sharing how they were amazed uh, and how mind-blowing it is that, that this passage that we read today is so obviously referencing the crucifixion of Christ. I mean, it was written thousands of years before Christ, before the Roman Empire even existed. It was written hundreds of years before the even first recording of a crucifixion. But if you read 7 and 8, let me read that to you. It says this. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. It really, really sounds like what happened to Jesus as he died on the cross. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 39 to 40, this is what it says there. It says this, And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads, saying, 
You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. The song and this passage from Matthew, they really sound eerily alike. Verse 16 to 18, similar thing. You have here, it says, For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. I mean, this language that the psalm uses, it really sounds like what happened to Jesus. What he went through when he was dying on the cross for you and for me. Mark chapter 15, verse 24. This is what it says there. It says, and they crucified him. Pierced his hands and feet. They crucified him and they divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should I mean, you can definitely see the foreshadowing of Christ's crucifixion in the words from Psalm 22. So what I would like to do today is I want to take a moment to understand maybe why it is that it is this psalm that Jesus quoted as he was dying on that tree. Cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says, Eloi, Eloi. Lama sabachthani. You know, that verse, every time I hear it, that, that passage that I just read, it comes from Matthew chapter 27 and from Mark chapter 15. Every time I hear those words, every time I read those words, honestly, it brings me so much pain. Because the question he's asking, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you deserted me? Why have you ghosted me, God? It's the same thing. I'll tell you, there have been so many times personally in my life, maybe you've had the same experience, where you feel like, you know what? God, can you even hear me? God, do you even care? God, you, you feel like God could care less about what you're going through. Moments when you feel exactly like David did when he wrote the psalm in the first place. Moments where you feel just like Jesus did as he was hanging on the cross, alone, abandoned. Forsaken, roasted. Verse 1 and 2 says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, from, from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you don't answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Five years ago, when I was about to lose my job, the startup I was working at in San Francisco, the only option that I could find. I don't know how many resumes and how many friends I contacted. The only option that I could find for a job was going to require me and my wife, Suzette, to leave our home, to leave our friends, to leave our family. We love being here in Chicago, honestly. But the idea of leaving our community in San Francisco... Our goddaughters, Suzette's spiritual moms who had helped her grow in her faith, the community of, uh, of advocates that we were fighting with for the sake of the vulnerable in Africa, leaving all of that, there was a moment when I did ask the question, God, why have you abandoned us? Suzette's currently in Singapore right now. Um, she's there helping her mom and dad. 
um, hoping that she can get them well enough to be able to bring them back to the U.S. so that they can spend their final days with their daughters. And in the midst of all this, what's weighing on our minds is this. They have yet to find the peace of redemption by accepting Christ's sacrifice on the cross. The gift that Jesus and that we so desperately want them to accept. And there is that time now, every once in a while, where we're like, where are you, God? Why aren't you saving them? Right now, knowing that our beloved church, our beloved family here has to once again Face uncertainty because we have to look for another senior pastor again. God, are you ghosting us? There um, is a theological question that sometimes is asked when you look at this quote from Jesus. When Jesus asked the question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's his, one of his seven dying proclamations on the cross. And so the question, the theological question is this. How could the Son of God, who is simultaneously God, how could Jesus be abandoned by God if Jesus is God? The question is, was the Trinity temporarily dismantled? And I'll tell you, the short answer is no. The longer answer, which let me get into now, is this. See, if you're not aware of this, as Christians, we believe that there is only one God. And that that one and only God is triune, is part of a trinity. The, 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 but to understand this, the, the Trinitarian God, it does not mean that God is made up of three parts or three beings. See, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are all wholly divine, are all wholly God. It's not that they're like three pieces that get added together like they're Voltron or the Power Rangers. All three are one and all three fully possess the same divine essence. There can be absolutely no separation between them. So then why does Jesus cry out? Why have you forsaken? Why does he say this? Why, why does he ask a question about being forsaken, about being abandoned? And I was looking into this, and I think there are a few reasons possibly why this is what he yells out from the cross. And one of them is this. Just like David, what Jesus was going through sucked. Um, maybe that's not a good word for the kids. Um, what Jesus was going through was really, really bad. <laughs> really, really bad. Sorry, parents. Um, disadvantage of not having children. Uh, I'm going to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says this. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was damned by God for me. Jesus was cursed by God for you, see, Jesus, who deserved none of the pain, who deserved none of the death, took all the pain and took all the death. Jesus, who is 100% God, Jesus, who is 100% human, felt all the hurt. He was socially abandoned. He was emotionally forsaken. 
I don't know what the situation was that led David to write that original poem, but this is the thing. Jesus, when he read that, for him, those words felt and fit how he was feeling. That's one. Another thing I think is this. I think Jesus was just asking a rhetorical question. See, he wasn't really worried about why he was being abandoned because he knew he wasn't. John chapter 18 there's a story of Judas, and he's showing up with uh, Pharisees, people with swords and stuff, and he's about to turn Jesus in. And in verse 4, this is what it says. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? See, Jesus was never confused about what was happening when Judas showed up. He knew exactly what was about to happen. He knew exactly why it had to happen. Why have you abandoned me? Is not a question that he was asking because he needed an answer. It was something that he cried out because of what he was going through. What he was going through was really, really bad. There's one other cultural consideration that I want to point out um, that you may or may not be aware of. Um, see, in Jewish tradition, uh, you sometimes see reference to an entire psalm in, an, in holy writings like the Mishnah, the Talmud. You see it, uh, the writer referencing an entire psalm by just including the very first line. It's similar to how in Jewish tradition uh, you might hear or see somebody reference the Shema. Uh, Shema is a, the daily prayer. It's from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, you simply, in Jewish culture, you just say, or in Hebrew, you just say Shema. And Shema means hear, which is the very first word of that prayer. You say Shema, and people know exactly what you're talking about. You're talking about that prayer. So when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was not only a cry of anguish. It was a cry of anguish, but it was also a cry out to anyone who was listening to him to consider the whole song, the whole song itself. There is something to consider here. Um, I want you to imagine this for just a, a moment. Jesus is suffering excruciating pain on the cross. He's suffocating. There are nails in his feet and his wrists right now. And so it's so painful, he cannot lift his body up so his lungs are collapsing. It's gonna be the, it had to be the most unbearable pain. And the thing that he cries out, the words that comes out of his mouth is this, anyone who's listening to me, see, seeing my sacrifice for you, remember this Psalm, remember Psalm 22. That's what he said. The depth in which he had to give, had given his life into knowing and living and breathing the Old Testament, like the Psalms, the completeness, completeness within which he lived and allowed Scripture to be a part of his very... Be here's, here's an example of what I'm trying to say. When I was in high school, I used to work uh, a telemarketing job. And I know there are memes and such 
of how the younger generation abhors the idea of actually receiving a phone call for real. You like, if you're not DMing me or texting me, you're dead to me. But back in the 1980s, uh, where some of you weren't born, there were jobs where people were paid to just call random individuals and strangers and ask them for money, which is what I did. Um, I did it for a minute. Uh, it turned out, unfortunately, that the company I was working for was an illegal operation. And, uh, <laughs> But that, that's another story. Uh, anyway, we were each given a very complicated script that we had to memorize because it provided answers for every possible response that the person we're calling might give trying to get us off the phone. I had that script fully memorized. I, I knew it cold, backwards and forwards. I was among the top, I was 15 years old. I was one of the top earners in that company. It was ridiculous. That script was so ingrained in me. I remember when it was one night we were at a church retreat and my little brother and all his little friends were walking around. They're trying to prank all the people who had fallen asleep, including me. Uh, when they came up to my bunk, suddenly I sat straight up because I used to have core before. Now I don't. But I sat straight up and I just started talking. Freaked them all out. All my little brother's friends. They're all like, what the? What? And because it, it was like a really weird, bad horror movie. And I just kept going and going. And they were trying to figure out, was I possessed or something? Was the devil walking through me? And my little brother starts listening a little bit more carefully. And he's like, oh. <laughs> just started backing away. Because he told me later, I was reciting the entire telemarketing script. <laughs> That script was so much a part of who I was, my psyche, that it was the most natural thing to come out, even in my unconscious state. For Christ, the scripture, the Psalms, are so much a part of Jesus, so much of his source and comfort, of comfort and peace, that in the midst of the worst suffering could possibly suffer, that's what came out. And that's something I want and I hope you might consider for yourselves as we go through these series, this series in the Psalms. You see, if the Psalms provided the original authors, if the Psalms provided the Israel, if the Psalms provided our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords comfort and peace in their darkest moments, I think it can do the same for us. But for it to be that kind of resource for us, these songs have to be a part of who we are. I'm not intending to throw shade on anyone when I say this, say this, but I think that there are some here who could potentially recite a BTS, Blackpink, or Taylor Swift song that could be appropriate for any situation. Um, I'm not going to name names. Um, I want to, but I'm not <laughs> The question is, can you do the same with Scripture? Can you do the same with Psalms? I know personally I can't. I want to. That was a tangent. Let me, let me come back to my original and actual point for today. Because my hope today is to consider why it is that Jesus quoted this psalm as he was dying on the cross. It's not because God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit were temporarily not one God anymore. They, they will always be and always have been one. All of them are wholly divine, all of them are wholly unique. I believe that Jesus' death cry from the cross, from this passage, when he says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, it was because he was in pain. 
It was because he was in anguish. It was because he was suffering for our sake. And he cried this out because the pain that King David felt, the, the abandonment and the loneliness that David experienced when he wrote this the first time, Jesus was feeling it. But it was never, I think, intended to only be a cry of abandonment. It was also intended to be a cry of hope. See, just as this original psalm was intended to be a reminder of our faithful and our loving and our gracious God, this cry out from Jesus' mouth to anyone who was listening from that hill outside of Jerusalem on that Friday afternoon, it was a cry for anyone who would be reading these words one day. It was a cry to remind all of the beloved of God that our God has not forsaken us. Our God has not abandoned us. Our God hasn't left us. Because when Jesus cried that out, he wanted us to understand that this painful, this horrible act on the cross was an act of love and an act of hope by our King. Because Psalm 22 is not just a song about how we might feel alone, how David felt alone. It is, it is also a song about how even when we feel alone, God is faithful. In spite of feeling like everything was going wrong, in spite of feeling betrayed, in spite of feeling abandoned, of, of suffering, God is with us all the time. That's the truth of this psalm. This psalm that Christ is directing us to remember from the cross is a reminder that it is our loving Father that we cry to and will be rescued by, that we will be delivered with. Starting with verse 22, this psalm becomes a declaration of hope and of promise. Let me read this to you. It says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, Praise him. All of you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All of you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised, despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard. And when he cried to him, from you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. And those who seek him shall praise the Lord. And may your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nation. Comes a psalm of hope. Praise. During the pandemic, there was this viral video of an elderly husband. He was separated from his wife who had Alzheimer's because of COVID, so they couldn't be in the room together. But because of his devotion to her, this nurse captured the video of him standing outside her window, singing to her, singing Amazing Grace. Ah, oh, that one wrecked me. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, God, why have you forsaken me? It is a desperate cry of anguish and 
It's a declaration of hope. It is an acknowledgement of the curse of rejection and it is a promise of redemption. See, that elderly husband refused to leave his wife's side doing all he could do to encourage his wife from outside her hospice window because he understood the reality of separation and he understood the hope of his unbreakable love for her. I want to end right now with one suggestion or, or ask of you all here. If you're currently in a place where you're asking yourself the question, why have you abandoned me, God? Or if you ever come to a time where that question becomes your reality, don't run away from it because Jesus did it. If you are there I want you to consider the same tools, the same resources Jesus and David used and so many other people before us and after us to be able to proclaim just as David did as we're looking at the psalm, as we're looking at our faithful and loving Father. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. And those who seek Him shall praise the Lord. Um, let's close in prayer. Thanks for tuning into this week's COTB Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us online, you can find us at cotb.life.